Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to episode 207 of Geek Town Radio. I'm back this week with... Bex! Hello, I do quite like that intro. <laughs> yes, yeah, I thought you would. I, I was expecting more crashing noises or explosions. No, well, you've not managed to damage yourself. I was going to try and clip a, a little bit from Big in Japan, the song, but I decided against that and I thought I'd just go with the Sega one instead. So um, it's been a while since you've been on because you've not been here. You've been away. Tell the I people have. where you've been. I have been in Tokyo for five weeks because I decided completely on a whim to uh, take me and my laptop and filming and uh, bought some ridiculously cheap last minute flights and then sofa surfed for five weeks um, <laughs> because that seemed like a good thing to do for my birthday having not been able to go abroad for such a long time. Yeah, why uh, not? Yeah, don't do things by halves. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was it was a very very good adventure good yes i've you've been posting stuff on on twitter and facebook and and various other places so where uh, it looks like you've been having fun out there anything in yes. particular oh goodness so so much and there's so much that was not posted on social media the backlog of a uh, spam of my adventures in japan is absolutely epic plus all the videos i need to finish yes. editing as well i've only got one video up so far so there's quite a few more of those to come as well cool. uh highlights for me the the biggest Thing was going to the uh, Studio Ghibli Museum yes. for those who know directors like Hayao Miyazaki and animes like you know Your Spirited Ways and um, Castle in the Sky and Howl's Moving Castle and so forth. Uh, it's the museum for those creators. And I've waited ten years to go there because oh. uh, the last time I was in Japan, it was during a period of refurbishment, so it was closed. I oh, know it was incredible and quite emotional for me as well. Oh. Um, so that was awesome. Uh, yeah, I walk, you walk through a park to get to the museum which they've custom built so it looks like it's from one of these beautiful animated fantasy movies it's a a very unusual building completely custom designed by Hayao Miyazaki when he decided he wanted to share the history of the studio and all of their movies so he designed it all from scratch that's amazing Um, I bought a a book of watercolours of the paintings he did to to show the designers that built the museum as well um, which is yeah which is pretty awesome that they went to that level to create something so beautiful as you come around the corner through the park though you can see on the roof which i didn't realize you could see from outside a beautiful spiral staircase that goes up with ivy around it and right at the top of the building on a roof garden is a life-size statue of one of the robots from a film called uh, laputa castle in the sky which is probably the most important movie i've ever seen in my life watched it since I was a child and uh, inspired me to get into art and film and everything, basically. And you can see this giant robot replica uh, from the outside. 
So as I walked around the corner, I uh, swore very, very loudly. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously being a, a museum that's got a lot of animated movies, some of which are aimed at adults and about children surviving in war periods. Other ones, however, are like Totoro and things, which are children's movies. So there's a lot of children in the queue. <laughs> and in any country, in every, in any language, some words are kind of widely understood. Yes. So I did some apologising. <laughs> um, I, I spent four hours looking around the museum. It was full of, like one room was a recreation of several of the artist's studios. It was full of their watercolours, acrylic and oil paintings, sketchbooks, um, books of collected references so I could look through and see the reference photos they took to help them design the environments for the movies or the animals in the movies. Um, And just entire walls with the actual watercolours and pages from hand-painted screenplays. Wow. pinned all over the walls. After four hours, I was still seeing new things, new details. And that was yeah, utterly incredible when you just spot something pinned to a corner around a wall with some other stuff around it. And you'd be like, hang on a minute, that's the original sketch for the castle in this, or that's an early version of this character design. Yeah. You know, that's some drawings of some engines. So they definitely would get the plane engines correct <laughs> in, in this movie. That just absolutely amazing to see. Yeah. yeah so that, that made me quite emotional. And I was still spotting more things after four hours uh, even tiny parts of the museum like the the grills on little grates in the outside area which they'd put the tools to keep the garden taken care of you know tiny little things like this still had a Totoro worked into the ironwork <laughs> that's that's kind of what you're getting with with this museum yes. everything Detail. is made yeah. of love um, another thing that's quite awesome about being there is they have all these short movies, 15 minute animated movies, which you were only able to see inside the museum. Oh, wow. And they're on rotation. So each month or so they swap which one is being shown in their little theatre, which is surrounded by stained glass of characters from their shows as well. These big stained glass things everywhere. And you can watch an exclusive 15 minute movie. Wow. Which was quite lovely to see as well. So, yeah, definitely that was up there on amazing experiences and not just if you're massively into anime or massively into the studio, just seeing the process of how they make the movie or the, the cell animation, the watercolour paintings, I think that would be a wonderful experience for, for anyone. They have a giant cat bus for anyone that's seen Totoro, a, a wonderful family film. It has a, a life-size cat who is also a bus <laughs> with of course. 12 legs. I swear it makes sense in context. Um, <laughs> and they have a giant like one-to-one scale plushy cat bus right. uh, surrounded by cushions for children to play in as one of the rooms. Obviously, there's signs everywhere saying this is for children only. Do not, <laughs> no adults are allowed in the cat bus and a lot of adults sulking by the side. <laughs> um, and because there's no filming or photos allowed to be taken within the museum, yeah. you just are immersed in that world. And I can see why people think that's a tough call, but I think it's the right call for, for that kind of museum. You are allowed to film outside and on the roof though so I do have footage to show and obviously the the watercolors I can show from the book I bought about how the museum got made uh, so that's yeah that that made me quite emotional and was pretty damn awesome uh, definitely wow. a, a must do for anyone that that goes to Japan you have to book your tickets a, a f- like months in advance as well usually with that one right uh, I was lucky because I was obviously staying with people who lived there that could access local tickets and go through right. lottery processes in the the local convenience stores to get Japanese based tickets right uh, but normally much more planning is required yes than, than I generally do um, <laughs> yes what else was awesome there's a giant um well 
it, it's cool if you like giant robots at all. There, there is an anime series called Gundam, which has been around since 1979 and it's still going. And it includes a ginormous transforming huge robot so big the pilot just goes in the head. Think like giant transformers. Yeah. Uh, but they're not alive. They are machines in this case. And yeah. they have a one-to-one scale replica Gundam. I think I saw the photo you posted of this. It's amazing. Yeah. I've taken a lot of video of it as well. It's yeah. one-to-one scale ginormous robot. I miss the original 1979 robot. This one is the 2010 Gundam Unicorn, which controversial to anime fans i kind of prefer that design <laughs> uh, and yeah it just absolutely incredible stupidly detailed yeah uh, and at night there's a show and the thing changes color leds are, and there's a lights projected on it they project the anime behind it and in time to that small parts of it move the head opens there's sound effects oh wow and i just sat there with my mouth open just going this is amazing <laughs> um I, I went and saw that three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, justifiable, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely incredible. So that's probably the two geekiest highlights from the Japan trip. Yeah, it was just five weeks of adventure, making friends, seeing what it's like to, to live in Tokyo. Uh, nearly got eaten by an eagle as well. <laughs> okay. Um, I say nearly got eaten. If it had seen me, I probably would have got eaten. <laughs> uh, I was in a in a remote, a small island connected to the mainland, right. sort of about 40 minutes from the south of Tokyo. And it's like a big hill. It's got some caves by the sea. It's got a, also a lot of birds of prey, primarily right. very large kites, which in a much more badass way than in the UK, steal your food when you're on the beach. <laughs> right. Imagine them walking up to you and going, give us that ice cream. <laughs> yeah, well, they stay they're known for swooping down and they're up to kind of like good easily over a meter these kites Jeez. and they will swoop down and steal your food there's signs for that and um right i'd gone out past where there was a temple and out into an area of greenery where you're allowed to have picnics to have a little picnic and i was there at an unusual time of day and there was no one else there and just just eating just eating little it was jelly with fruit in like you get in school yeah awesome they have those in all the corner shops these little things of jelly with fruit in i was very happy and, uh, <laughs> eating one of those it's sort of like with you know the bit of jelly on the spoon lifted up to the mouth sort of almost jurassic park styly you know yeah and uh, everything moves because this huge eagle i mean I, I wouldn't have been surprised if it was just over two meters it was enormous i tried <laughs> to kind of downplay it a bit because i didn't want to sound like i was exaggerating but it's one of the largest birds of prey i've ever seen yes and i've done a little bit of falconry <laughs> and um, it swooped through a tree everything was crashing it then did this crazy u-turn and went out over the sea right and i'm just there you know with the spoon but the jelly's fallen off by this point <laughs> just thinking my goodness that the claws on that thing were significantly bigger than my hands wow and i'm not sure i would have fed so well if it um yeah, so just seen me. thankfully it didn't fancy jelly that day so <laughs> yes, yes if i'd had a hot dog yes it would have um, been very different might have gone quite differently so yeah that, that's three things that happened which i shan't forget in <laughs> a short amount of time it's a pretty awesome place and i uh, i did a fair amount of filming of different things uh which i will share with everyone once they're up on the youtubes yes yes cool. have you ever been out to japan i haven't no i i was very tempted because um not only have you been out there ross was out there at the same time our, our other fellow co-host so apparently flights and hotels were fairly cheap uh, the last of the 
few weeks out in uh, Japan. So I was very tempted to go out, and uh, but I, I ended up opting to go to LA instead for a week. So I did that. But uh, yes, I was... That's not, that's not a bad call either. I've, I've never been to LA. <laughs> oh, it's such good fun. I had a, had a great fun. So yeah, I, I was out in LA for a week and I did a few things while I was out there. I did a couple of studio tours. So I did the VIP tour at Universal, which is, is always good fun. I've done that once before where you basically get a tour guide and they do an extended tour around the back lots because Universal, you're usually stuck in the trams because it's a huge lot. It's basically the largest film studio in Hollywood. So you're usually stuck on the trams the entire time. And it's great, the normal tour, but on the extended tour, they actually let you out of the trams to go wandering around, which is really nice. Uh, and you get to go into the prop room and stuff. So I did that. I I went What round- was the best prop? What was the best? What did you want to steal um, while you were there? They, they had a, a life-size ET, which was quite cool. Uh, which I have a photo of me stood next to the ET. And so that that I would have quite liked to steal. That was that was quite good. Have fun there. Uh, Warner Brothers, I went and did their normal tour as well. And I like the Warner Brothers studio. I mean, it's, it's certainly if you're a fan of shows of like the Gilmore Girls, uh, Pretty Little Liars as well, because uh, Gilmore Girls and Pretty Little Liars is basically shot in exactly the same place. Uh, but it's, if if you're a fan of the Gilmore Girls, it's it Stars Hollow, the, the, the central area of of that is the Stars Hollow set, essentially. And uh, a lot of it is built around that. So that's really quite good fun. The DC shows, although the, you know, the CW DC shows don't actually shoot in LA, they all shoot in Vancouver. But what they did have was a lot of the costumes. They had uh, like the Flash costume and the Supergirl costume and the Arrow costume were all there. They'd also got a lot of stuff from the movies. So they had a huge Aquaman thing going on. So they had all the costumes from Aquaman and they've got a lot of harry potter stuff there as well and uh, of course universal has because they don't do theme park stuff at the warner brothers studios universal has the hogsmeade harry potter thing as well where it is which they basically built the whole of hogsmeade outside you know and a massive hogwarts as well which they've built there so it, it that's all, and that's got a ride inside it and that's all really good fun so got to do all that uh, the other thing was um cobra kai you know the uh, karate kid youtube show mm-hmm. uh they were doing a live concert at the whiskey a go-go which uh, for those of you who don't know is a very very famous la nightclub uh, they were doing a concert with the composers, uh, Leo Berenberg and uh, Zach Robinson were doing a sort of live thing for the music for Cobra Kai. And it's all very kind of 80s style synth music, which is really good fun. Um, and they got My Own and Droid Bishop were two of the other bands that were playing on there as well. They were fabulous. And uh, I went along for that on the one night. They also uh, introduced uh, Joe Esposito, who sang uh, You're the Best from the original Karate Kid movie. Joe Esposito <laughs> is 71 years old and still has the same voice that he had back in 1984 when they released that single. He was absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, hats off to him. He was he was brilliant. So um, they brought him out on stage. They brought some of the cast out as well. So uh, got to see some of the cast. So that was really good fun. I really enjoyed that. Other things I've I've done since I've come back, New Amsterdam, the medical drama that's on Amazon. I went and interviewed some of the cast for that. That will be going up on the website soon. That was uh, Ryan Eggold, Freema Adjiman and Janet Montgomery from New Amsterdam. So I did an interview with those guys. 
the audio may go onto the podcast. I need to check whether with them whether I'm cleared to actually use the audio or not. But it will go up as a written interview if, if I'm not allowed to use the audio. So uh, we'll we'll see on that. But uh, they were fabulous. Ryan Eggold is hilariously funny and uh, really really entertaining. And him and Freeman together particularly are, are very very funny. So and I love that show. It's a fantastic medical drama. Uh, and the uh, whole first season of that's on Amazon Prime. If you want to go and watch that. And then he's just been catching up with with other things that have been on TV, really, uh, the last few weeks. Uh, Chernobyl, which obviously now kind of run out, but uh, one of the best pieces of TV I've seen in a very, very long time. And he's probably going to win all the awards this year, I rather suspect, because yeah, it was absolutely I've heard brilliant. so many people raving about it, including a lot of people who wouldn't normally watch a show with that kind of format or premise. Yeah, yeah. Um, really well, well worth watching. It's it's truly a phenomenal show. So I was watching that Designated Survivor Season 3 that has returned. And uh, it's interesting. This is the first one done by Netflix. This is a bit more sweary than previous versions. It's gone a bit West Wing, which is no bad thing, I don't think. West Wing's a great show, so it's not necessarily something that you should particularly uh, be ashamed of, of aping. But there's a lot more kind of walking and talking. And they're focusing a bit more on the politics rather than the conspiracy theory stuff that was there before so uh, uh, it's only 10 episodes not the full 22 which it was previously because it's now a Netflix show but uh, still thoroughly enjoyable really really good Handmaid's Tale back for a third season and that's as good as it ever was yeah, um, but I've not watched that yet so no spoilers I need yes. to catch up on it uh, yeah and I've got a whole bunch of stuff that I need to catch up on um, Killing yeah. Eve I did watch the first episode of the new series but I need to watch the rest of it but that's again fabulous there's the ITV show Wild Bill I need to catch up on Absentia uh, season 2 of that's now out I need to go watch that Jessica Jones I haven't started yet the third season of that I, I did watch Catch 22 which is the new Channel 4 series hilariously funny it's very kind of Coen Brothers in in the format it's done by George Clooney and you know George Clooney has a long relationship with the Coen Brothers and it is a George Clooney production but you it, it feels kind of like a Coen Brothers thing and uh, the whole the whole Catch-22 thing I mean you know the phrase Catch-22 and this yeah. is basically sort of where it came from and uh, the idea that, that it, it's set in I think it's the Second World War and it's set around this bomber crew and the Catch-22 22 in in this situation is he's a guy that's sick of the war trying to get out of it he's talking to the doctor and the doctor is basically explaining well yes you've got to be crazy to be prepared to fight in this war and want to fly missions but the problem is the only way you can get out of flying missions is if you go to the doctor to say this is insane i want to i want to get out of it but by going to ask him that you want to get out of flying missions you're then proving that you are in actual fact sane because that's the sign of a sane mind <laughs> therefore you've got to go and fly the missions so so is this effectively another adaptation of the book yes it is it's a it's not connected to the first movie which was out in the 70s i want to say yeah no it, it is another adaptation of the book it's, it, okay. it's, it's a mini series it's an adaptation of the book it's got a great cast clooney's in it at the start hugh laurie in it as well it's it's really really good and uh i've i've only seen the first episode of that but really enjoyed it 
So uh, well worth going to watch. That's on Channel 4. There's a couple of other little bits of news that snuck out whilst we've been off because uh, I we, we had a bit of a hiatus last week because I was on a plane at the time and <laughs> and was kind of feeling slightly too tired to do any editing by the time I got back. So uh, You mean you can't be on a plane, use Skype, edit and broadcast all at the same time? No. <laughs> Not on a transatlantic flight, you can't. Well, that's entirely reasonable. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, and you kind of, when you're flying back from the... You US, you basically lose 10 hours. So I was kind of getting kicked around by um, jet lag by the time I got back. And I was like, I just can't face editing something. So yes, apologies for no show last week. But uh, there was a couple of bits of news that popped out whilst we've been kind of off the last couple of weeks. Have you seen that photo of Mackenzie Crook from the Wurzel Gummidge adaptation? The what with the what now? Wurzel Gummidge. I know, I know I've been in another country for a while, but yes, uh, that's you're, the thing. You're aware of Wurzel Gummidge. There are I doing, am, yes. Uh, there are a couple of things this week which are, are designed to destroy your childhood. The first one was there is a, a Wurzel Gummidge adaptation coming from Mackenzie Crook. It's basically two films which are based on the Wurzel Gummidge books, So, which is obviously what the original TV series that we all know and love that starred uh, John Pertwee in it. There are two films con- coming out based on those original books as well, with Mackenzie Crook in the lead role. There have been a lot of discussion about the makeup for for Wessel in that because it's not the best. I have to say, I'm not overly convinced by the makeup in it. I think they've tried to make him look like a Swede, I guess, some yeah, sort of root vegetable. Like just having now looking at the picture you have just sent me, and I'm pulling a slightly quizzical face. Yes, it doesn't have the sort of sweet cuteness that they did of of the original TV show. But again, this is an adaptation of the books, not a remake of the TV show. Although that is where most people will know it from. And I think actually they would they've overdone the makeup. It probably would have been better not to have quite laid it on so thick. It's um, going to be hard to. I mean, I'm I'm just making a guess, but emoting through that because yeah. Wurzel's a character that you're supposed to empathise with mm. quite a lot. And I'm wondering how much movement and how much individual muscle control you can get through that level of makeup. I mean, until I see it move, I, I won't know. But looking at it from there, it looks quite static. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I want to see a trailer for it to. to see how well it it mm. works but there was a very mixed reaction and uh, a lot of it not very positive to to that idea so uh, we'll see it is going to be two 60 minute films basically they're making of it based on a couple of the books no news on when they're actually releasing it yet uh, it'll be on the bbc it's got christmas written all over it pretty much i think yeah, I, I rather I would suspect agree with you there. this is going to be their christmas thing but uh they haven't actually said that officially but that seems to me where it's going to be the other thing which is set to ruin your childhood, uh, there is a trailer for a new Banana Splits movie. It's <laughs> made by sci-fi and it's the Banana Splits as a horror movie. So, um, <laughs> yes. I think I speak for any of you people currently listening right now who weren't aware of that when I just say, eh? <laughs> Yeah, um, for those of you that are too young to know the Banana Splits, uh, Banana Splits Adventure Hour was a variety show, had um, people in large furry costumes, essentially. Uh, Flegel the Beagle, Drooper the Lion, Snorky the 
the elephant and Bingo the gorilla were the four main characters. Uh, and it was this sort of mix of live action and animation. These sort of anthropomorphic fairies played this bubblegum rock band and they sort of linked the animated stuff together and it had cartoons in it and, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but they were kind of live action. It ran from the late 60s to the early 70s, although most people in the UK probably remember it from Saturday morning reruns in the 70s and 80s, uh, those of you who remember it. Sci-Fi, the US network, have created a movie based on the banana split, but the idea is that it is a horror film and they are essentially there's there's a kid that goes to recording of it there is an evil executive that tries to cancel the show and the uh, four banana splits characters seem to fight back and that involves killing people <laughs> it's the weirdest trailer you will ever see if you particularly this just if you know screams the- like an indie comic that someone made and then got sent a cease and desist order yes the it- idea that this is being made by Simon is both awesome and just so yeah i am so incredibly surprised you are allowed to do that that yeah license and it it kind of sounds like it could be amazing yes Um, but usually when you get this kind of darkness it's either a fan-made thing and they get sent letters saying uh could you not yeah Um, or it's something like happy which is purpose written where they take that cuteness and make something super dark out of it Um, so to use pre-existing characters that people are likely to remember and then do that twist with it on a channel like sci-fi I'm now going to have to watch this yes we don't know when it or or if it's going to air on sci-fi in the UK although I guess it probably will it sounds like the type of thing that it will probably put out globally but we'll we'll have to wait and see we don't know that for a fact i mean it, it seems very much in the sort of sharknado-y type mold but it is weird that they've been allowed to use the license in this way yeah we'll, we'll just have to wait and see but there is a trailer for that up on the website if you remember the banana splits and want to go and look at it it is it is bizarre to say the least it is very very strange um but uh yeah so that was some of the weirder things that popped out while we're off there um with that in mind let's move on to some tea TV and film news. Give me some time to recover after that strange <laughs> announcement. Yes. So TV and film news, uh, we'll start off with the renewals, cancellations and pickups. There obviously are quite a lot because we've kind of been off for a couple of weeks. So first thing is, it looks like Channel 5, not unsurprisingly, of Dick's Drill and Grace, which is the very Channel 5 thing to do. They they sort of buy things for one season and then don't run it again. NBC Universal, who own the series, it looks like they're looking to release DVDs over the summer of the whatever it is season 14 or 10 or 11 or i don't know whatever it is at this point but um the next season it looks like going to get a dvd release rather than a a main tv release which is weird because universal do have a channel in the uk you kind of i mean i know they're separate entities but you kind of would have thought that maybe shoving it onto that would be the most sensible thing but apparently not they're talking about dvd releases so uh, unless they'd given the option to channel five and it's still under maybe maybe yeah it it may be a licensing thing i don't know but uh, i wish channel five wouldn't do that i wish they they wouldn't buy things like that because it's not the sort of thing that seems to run very well on channel five and they should know that by now so weirdly they are buying some 
some reasonable kind of you know things like canadian dramas and stuff but they're shoving them out on the my five streaming channel rather than putting them on channel five which is weird uh netflix have cancelled the horror series chambers which starred uma thurman that's been canned after one season didn't see it so i have no idea whether it's any good or not but uh, there's that uh yellowstone the um drama fronted by kevin costner that is being renewed for third season it has added added joss holloway for the uh third season as well who is the your man from uh, lost played sawyer in lost and was in colony as well now one that's going to hurt bex uh Deadly Class cancelled by sci-fi. Um, cancelled by sci-fi at which point I think should be the channel's motto. <laughs> um, so that's been cancelled by sci-fi after one season. It is coming to Stars Play, the uh, Amazon channel. They are going to air that from July the 19th, if you want to go and uh, watch that. They've also cancelled Happy after two what? seasons as well. There is a second season yeah, of Happy, which is on the Netflix. the petition for that? <laughs> yeah. The second season of that is now up on Netflix, but um, that is it. They're not making any more of it which is frustrating but again it not is usually. quite a niche thing being yeah. as dark as it is. having just had the conversation that they're basically making something like the banana splits over on sci-fi that's pretty dark and so forth happy again it is it is quite niche and there's only so many people like me that want to watch something yes. like that but i am still sad that it didn't get a third season yes it's me too me too because I, I i haven't watched the second season yet but i really love the first season so um yes sorry to see that go but uh, they've cancelled both those. So that's Deadly Class and Happy both gone. Uh, the Good Place has also uh, not been cancelled. It's a production decision. They are ending it with season four, which I, I would be very, very sad to see go. But I get why they're ending it because I, I think it's one of those things that really shouldn't have had a life after the first season because the first season was very much such a self-contained thing. And then they ran it for another season and managed to alter it in such a brilliant way. And then another season where they twisted it again. And I think there's only so many times you can get away with doing that and still make it work. So uh, I, I adore that show. It's superb and brilliantly written. But uh, yeah, full season of The Good Place, which is the upcoming season, will be its last one. Production decision, creative decision, not cancelled, just ending. So uh, it will wrap up properly, that. Weird one as well, Swamp Thing, the uh, DC Universe show, has been cancelled after one season, although the entire season hasn't gone out yet. Like two or three episodes have gone out, but they cancelled it after one episode had gone out. And it was very critically acclaimed, that episode, but they still decided they were going to ditch it. So there's been numerous reasons why they're saying that it's being dropped some people it appears to be a financial decision more than anything else uh there are changes going on at warner brothers in terms of management and i think they were struggling with the amount of money that was being spent on swamp thing uh they were they apparently built an undercover swamp set which cost quite a lot of money to build and was going to cost a fortune to house and store if they were coming back for another season so that appears to be another reason so it was it was a just an expensive show to make that appears to be one of the reasons but weirdly i mean the critical reaction to it after the first episode was brilliant so it seems like a very very odd decision but a Apparently the decision has already been made. That is not returning. Well, hopefully the end of the series has a, a good conclusion rather than a, well, a cliffhanger yeah, or I they mean, can do something to, to wrap it up if it's going to garner such critical maybe. acclaim. It would be a shame if it just has an abrupt stop, but I guess we won't know till it's no, all out. No, we won't. And, and I, 
I don't hold out much hope for that because it was supposed to be 10 episodes and they trimmed it to eight, I think. So, you know, and that was that was earlier on in the, you know, quite early on they announced that they trimmed a couple of episodes off it. So I don't have a great amount of hope that it's going to wrap up particularly well either, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, no UK date for it anywhere yet. Um, same with Doom Patrol. They've, we've not seen any signs of either of those coming across. So uh, we'll have to wait and see if they turn up over here. Netflix has put in some renewals, though. Uh, they've renewed Russian Doll, which is the wonderful mind-bending comedy series, which is sort of a Groundhog Day-esque thing about a girl that's stuck in a party. They've renewed that for a second season, which I'm very happy about because that was a, a really, really good first season. Uh, I think it was only like six episodes, eight episodes maybe, and they're only half an hour long, so it wasn't very long. But uh, really, really fun first season, so I'm glad they're bringing that back. They've also renewed Lucifer for a fifth and final season, and I thought they did a really good job with the full season um only 10 episodes but uh they they put it to a place where which could have wrapped it up if they weren't going to come back so i wasn't sure whether they were going to bring it back but i am glad they're going to bring it back for a fifth season and uh we'll we'll see where they go with that but uh uh you know it's it's great they seem very happy that that it's been brought back the cast seem very happy so uh, that's all good a couple of smaller stories as well you've got uh, ITV have renewed Cold Feet for a ninth season that's coming back Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon's The Trip is returning for a fourth season and they're going to Greece for that but that's moving from Sky Atlantic to Sky One when that returns I think that's going to be next year and NBC are developing Langdon which is a prequel series based on the Da Vinci Code novel The Lost Symbol so having done it in the movies, they're now doing a prequel series on TV. Weirdly, The Lost Symbol is actually a book that's set after all the other Da Vinci Code books, but they've tweaked it to make it a prequel instead, just to confuse fans. I think that that's the purpose of that. But uh, yeah, so I've, I mean, it depends whether you like the Da Vinci Code things. There were a lot of people commenting there are much better books out there that you could make TV series out of, and I quite agree there are, but it's a known brand, so NBC are going with it. Uh, don't know whether that will go to full series, but they are developing it at the moment. Moving on to bigger news, and this was one I thought Bex would be particularly interested in. Uh, the team behind Krypton are apparently developing a standalone Lobo series. Yes, I'm I'm very interested to uh, to see how that will go, because obviously Lobo is a character I have a particular affinity for. And um, yeah, not getting to see Simon Bisley at MCM by virtue of being in Tokyo, um, who worked on Lobo, was one of the things that made me sort of go, am I in the right place when I was in Tokyo? So yeah, a Lobo series would be awesome. The question is, uh, will they pull their punches with it? Because it's quite a violent comic book. It is. Um, I mean, they've just introduced Lobo on the second season of Krypton. MHJ Scandlin is uh, portraying Lobo. And, uh, interesting. I mean, he's possibly not quite as big as you want him to be, but I think overall the look seems all right. There are photos floating around of it. And uh, I think he has actually appeared in the US now. It's Season two hasn't gone out in the UK yet. but I've seen the stills from the episodes floating around yeah. on the internet. And he looks pretty good as a Lobo. To get someone to be Lobo to look as big as Lobo does, it'd be quite difficult for casting since one of the things about his character design was that he was a satire of the super gritty, edgy 1990s comics. So he in himself is is, is supposed to be, well, he was introduced sort of as a parody, but everyone loved him so much he became an actual character. So there's going to be a certain amount of adjustment they have to do because the whole point is that he's ridiculous. And if he'd turned up in Krypton 
as muscly as he is in the comics, yeah, he would have looked like a comedy monster. Yes, it sort of makes sense. And it sounds like they've kept a lot of the personality stuff in there. I mean, for those of you that don't know Lobo, he's basically a, a character, the sort of superhuman speed, strength, stamina. The unique thing about him really is the fact that he's basically unkillable because he can regenerate his entire self from a, a single drop of blood. He's also incredibly intelligent, although does come across as a sort of 90s 80s biker look rip sort of clothes on a motorbike yeah. kiss style heavy metal makeup yeah uh, long dreadlocks and a uh, a killer bulldog called dog so with a w <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean i really do like this character this uh they use him in the 52 run not the new 52 comic book run but the actual comic book called 52 they use him quite a lot in that and uh, he's fabulous in that run and uh you know he's, he's a great character so i am looking forward to seeing uh what that actually comes up like uh it will be the same guy so it will be a direct spin-off it's the same people behind it um we'll have to wait and see exactly what happens with that and whether it actually moves forward but i i do rather like the uh the look of that it sounds i really can't believe they're making a lobo tv series that's crazy um and, and i mean it's it's on sci-fi in the u.s so and that's a cable channel and it's the same people that or it's the same channel that did things like happy so you can make it quite violent you you can do things that are are out there on that channel. So um, hopefully it will do that. Um, We'll just have to wait and see. Moving on, we've got Sky and HBO have teamed up for a new series called The Third Day, which is a limited series starring Jude Law. Uh, This is another team up between Sky and HBO. I think we're going to see a bit more of this because everything went so well with Chernobyl that I think, you know, they have teamed up a couple of times before, but I think we're going to see more of it. Uh, So The Third Day stars Jude Law as Sam, who after being drawn to a mysterious island off the British coast, is thrown into an unusual world of its secretive inhabitants. Isolated from the mainland, the ritual of the islands begin to overwhelm him and he's confronted by trauma from his past. As the line between reality and fantasy blurs, Sam finds himself immersed in an emotional quest which puts him at odds with the islands and begins to threaten their way of life. Uh, So it's sounding a little bit Wicker Man, in all honesty. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, But I I don't know. Jude Law, I I think, you know, great actor, good, solid team behind it. It comes from Dennis Kelly, who was the writer behind Utopia and Pulling. And I mean, given the sort of weird premise of it, Utopia seems like an interesting touch point for it. Yeah, I kind of will live or die on whether you like Jude Law, I guess. And last story we've got, Marvel's Runaways have added a new cast member as Morgan Le Fay. And it's Elizabeth Hurley, interestingly, is playing Morgan Le Fay on uh, Runaways for the next season. Do you know Morgan Le Fay particularly as a Marvel character? Uh, yes, I used to read Namor back in the day. Ah, there you go. And she was involved in that because, um, yeah, she is a sorceress and she's connected to Merlin. So she's she's a really old character. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, she's actually older than Marvel uh, itself. Uh, I mean, she is a, technically a Marvel character, but she actually first appeared in 1955 in Atlas Comics, which was the precursor to Marvel Comics. So she's been around in a very, very long time. It was 1978 where they kind of reintroduced her into the Marvel Universe as a villain for Spider-Woman, apparently. But she has gone up against the Avengers, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, Hawkeye, pretty much every Marvel hero at some point. 
Um, yeah, I don't think I've seen her in anything recently, certainly not in any of the, the, the big main titles. So that's quite an interesting choice and it gives them quite a reasonable amount of free reign yeah. to, to do something that makes it their own as well. Yeah. And Runaways has been a good series. I mean, uh, you know, they've, they've been doing a decent job with it, I think. It's been really good fun. I'm not a huge Elizabeth Hurley fan particularly, but this sort of scenery chewing kind of villain is the sort of thing I think she does quite well. So I, I, I think this could be quite interesting. We'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, should turn up next season. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, Runaways, uh, first two seasons have aired on Sci-Fi in the UK. So presumably the, f- the third season will air next year at some point. So that's all the news we have for this week. Next up, we have the interview. <laughs> It's lovely to have you uh, on and to uh, chat a bit about your your work. Uh, it is rare that I talk to somebody who's actually in the same country because <laughs> they're yeah, all right, they're yes. always somewhere up in the mountains yeah. in LA. Yeah, so, uh, so uh, yeah, it's really nice to to have you on to chat. And um, yeah, when we booked this interview, as you said before, uh, and when we booked this interview, you were you were Ivor Novello nominated. You're now Ivor Novello winning uh, for this. It's the second one you've got actually. This isn't it? Because you got yeah, no, it's amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. So how was how was the event how was how was winning for uh which one was it you won for for, uh, for requiem for requiem for yeah netflix and bbc series Re- uh, requiem and yeah. uh, for that one i was working with natasha khan uh, also known as bad for lashes so we we won it um, together for that and it did come as a surprise a bit you know because also you know our sort of competitor co-nominee was you know, Clint Mansell, who I'm of course a big fan of. And, you know, so, um, so, so it did, um, it did come as a surprise when they called out our name. <laughs> nice mm. surprise though. Yeah, definitely. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what, what do they give you for the Ivan novella? Is it, what is it? Is it, uh, it's a nice, uh, it's a, it's really beautiful. I think out of the, all the awards, it's probably the nicest one to get because it's a beautiful bronze statue that was designed, I think in the fifties and, Aww. and it's kind of handmade bronze. So yeah, they're, they're quite valuable and, um, and very beautiful. Yeah. 
So that's cool. It's a, nice, it's a nice thing to have at home. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Good. Well, you can put it next to the other one. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's great. Uh, before we get into talking about some of the shows, because I mean, your your catalogue's fabulous. But uh, before we get into that, do you want to just give a little bit of background about how you got into composing in the first place? Yeah, I think, um, you know, everyone's path is different, but similar in a way. I mean, I come from a sort of musically enthusiastic family with you know, parents singing in choirs, etc. So, so, so I was I was always surrounded by music from an early age, and then you know, trained in piano and flute uh, primarily. And then, of course, as a teenager, at some point, I think there comes a time when you need to rebel against all that classical yes. um, upbringing that you've got. You know, so I bought this huge synthesizer, and I had a I had a band. Etc. You know, so and I was, um, you know, taught, we were making records and touring. At the same time, though, I was actually always. I think I always wanted to be a film composer. Um, and, but of course, you know, when you are like 15, 16 years old, you know, nobody's going to ask you to like yeah. score a film. So I had to make my own films, um, <laughs> and and they were kind of different things. And they were animations and elaborate adaptation of literary works and um you know sort of some some of it was quite ambitious but but of course you know there was always a lot of score in them you know yeah. so and then i progressed into i thought i kind of invent the new genre of filmmaking which is these kind of op- i wrote these operas that were made for the screen <laughs> uh, and then i i directed them and, so, and you know they they got bigger and bigger and Hell for Leather is a sort of is a longer one, and that was in the end very successful. It premiered at Sundance, won loads of awards, etc. You know, so so and at the same time, you know, eventually, you know, I did when I was quite young, I did end up in London, and I, I went to film school as well as educating myself further musically. And at film school, everyone basically asked me to score their films, hmm. you know, their short films, their student films. And then it it carried on and it grew from there and got the short films became longer and longer and t- until I got my first uh, gig, you know, for doing a, fi- a orchestral feature film score. And only later, really, I ended up in, you know, television or, you know, doing Netflix and that sort of stuff. That's interesting, though. I mean, because quite often you don't, get composers that have got a sort of that much of a background in sort of film you know creating film themselves they're, they're sort of maybe musical background but don't necessarily haven't got experience directing or, or haven't gone to a film school they've gone to kind of composing courses and and that yeah. sort of stuff so do you think that helps you with your composing yeah i mean you know i i, I don't think it will hurt um no i mean conversely you know the other way around this is very common so i have a lot of directors who then you know they come to my studio here actually they're all bass players for some reason <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why there are a lot of hell a lot of directors who also play bass so so, but I also, you know, in the end, I think filmmaking and music composition, they're not so dissimilar. You know, it's a very much about finding to tell a story that is beyond just using words. And maybe, you know, sometimes there is a sort of 
emotional undercurrent that you need to get get across. And, you know, filmmaking actually works. You know, a lot of the decisions are similar. And um, I don't think that it is so different because it's very much about about storytelling. Yeah. Speaking of storytelling, I mean, Requiem, which is the the thing you won the award for Mm -hmm. most recently, um, that was a BBC series and it's now on Netflix. Uh, So it's Netflix sort of worldwide and it's now Netflix over here. I did check it's no longer on the iPlayer. So if you want to see it, it's on Netflix. That's kind of an interesting story. It's very much what I would call a very classic sort of BBC kind of dark drama feel to it. But you've got the interesting side of, of the fact that the lead character is a cellist. Did that sort of automatically influence you towards using strings and cello in the music. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first, coming back to the Netflix, I mean, Requiem is a Netflix series, so it was yeah. in conjunction. So, so it was always right. Netflix were in there yeah, yeah. Right from the start. Um, yes. And they were, you know, their co-producers and, yeah, and yeah. we we kind of had to satisfy their needs as well as BBC's needs. And yeah, so the, the main character is a concert, you know, an accomplished concert cellist who, you know, it, it opens uh, with her kind of playing the Royal Festival Hall, etc. And of course, you know, this is a kind of dream for a composer because, you know, there is actually a reason for music to be in the show and the reason for maybe more involved type of music to be in the show and that gives you a fantastic springboard for the score because sometimes I think you you do a score and you don't quite know how to sort of impose some music onto a story and that uh, early on in a show that can be quite tricky you know because there needs to be in a way a reason for this music to play you know it, it isn't just there out of nothing so and requiem being a, a musical char- central character you know that was great and and also you know it, it it gave total justification for there to be some quite virtuoso and involved cello parts you know so and we did have um two you know fantastic very different cellists who then we we I recorded both of those and they kind of amalgamated into the central characters playing. So it was a sort of manufactured composite persona, which was interesting. Were you writing and, and sort of organizing the playing of the character on screen in terms of the music as well as composing all the music for the show as well? Well, a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, Lydia Wilson, she had to, you know, learn um, how to yeah. pretend to play the cello. And I think she did really quite well because it's, I'm sure it's not easy, you know, mm. so, or I, I know it's not easy to even uh, mime, you know. So, and then I had some say in the repertoire that was chosen for her to play. And I was keen to make it, you know, maybe a more adventurous, less expected repertoire, you know, because like these days, whenever you have something cello on television or on radio, it means they always play the same piece. It's Bach, G major, uh, <laughs> sweet. Um, and it seems like for a lot of people is like that, as if that's the only piece of cello that exists. So I didn't want that in there. So I had some uh, Philip Glass, some kind of very involved uh, piece by uh, Kodai, um, Hungarian composer, a more kind of modernist uh, repertoire. 
But then, of course, sometimes she may be on screen and then she plays, you know, one of those pieces, but then it kind of merges into score. So then that is also where mm. it becomes incredibly technically very complicated because this has to be written before and they have to film that, etc. So, but that's kind of the fun and exciting bit. So, yes, so some of that had to be kind of written before, you know, so the sto- because the story is that she gets sort of like haunted by this melody that comes back. So it's as if some external forces are forcing her to play this melody on the cello as well. So that's where these kind of merging situations happen. What was your most interesting experience creating score for for Requiem? There is a lot of kind of audio that the audio is quite important in the story like for example the main characters you know they end up in this mansion in wales and then they go down to the basement and they find these old tapes like that are maybe 15 20 years old and they contain this kind of very strange a kind of singing or you you don't actually really know what it is you know so to create that's exciting because you are actually creating something that's very much part of the the on-screen the diegetic part of the story yeah that's interesting i mean uh, your list of work uh as well as requiem uh is quite impressive you've got things like baptiste missing ripper street which was a fabulous series the missing i thought thought was quite interesting i was watching some things online you the um you talked about the creation of that sort of tinnitus sound right, um, yeah. using using glasses, which I thought was was brilliant because, I mean, that works so well. Were there any sort of other strange instruments you've either used on Requiem or, or the more sound designy sort of stuff where you've picked something up like a dustbin lid and thought, oh, this might, this will work. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, know I, love, I love it when, you, when composers just find things that sort of think, oh, that's got an interesting sound to it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it... You know, you do this all the time. I mean, like I here, I'm here at the studio and I have some instruments hanging here. I have like a viola. I can't play viola, but <laughs> I have a viola because you can make all sorts of other sounds with it, you know, so you can hit it and you can uh, stroke the bow across it in a kind of unfriendly manner. And, um, and so, of course, yes, you or what we do on like on Requiem, you know, we we used a lot of you know Natasha Khan did some singing. Then we would mess with those vocals, of course. You know, some of it, a lot of those kind of deep horror type drones are actually simply her vocal, but slowed down or using some kind of other means of of pitch shifting. And then, for example, on The Widow, which is um, this you know series that I did for Amazon that that's set in in Africa, you sometimes want a sort of almost a kind of ethnic color in there. So we are just sometimes used like even simple instruments like ukulele, but, you know, the way you play them and maybe dampen them more so they sort of sound maybe as if they come from Africa. And, Mm. you know, it's so, so you, I, I often, I think it's kind of exciting to you, you know, to actually make your own samples and, and just even um, we are using, or like in Requiem, we were instead of using a bass drum, you know, for sometimes there is a sort of pretty much a kind of four on the floor kind of, or a three on the floor pulse on there. But, but that's just Natasha stamping her, foot <laughs> on the floor here you know because, because it, there is a kind of intensity to it that maybe you don't really get 
from a bass drum. So, um, and I think it's it's generally really important, you know, to to actually have some unique sounds because I think the audience will find will will connect those sounds with the story much yeah. better if they if they are unique and they haven't heard them before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you talk about using unique sounds and uh, creating your own samples. What do do you use sample libraries that much, or do you uh, is is it sort of a case of recording absolutely everything, or as least as much as you can get away with? No, I mean, well, also of course you do you I do use sample libraries because you know you need to do mockups because you know yeah. for the producers, I mean, as in you know you need to if you're recording an orchestra or a string section later on. You need to play a, a kind of electronically mocked up version to the producers and the director. So, of course, for that, you need to yeah. use um, samples. And then, you know, for a lot of like piano stuff, I use samples. And then, you know, sometimes I like just messing about with, about with samples as well. You know, I, there's like some samples I use uh, kind of like a, a zither sample that I like, but I, I like it when it's two octaves down and things yeah. like that. Yeah. I love finding either weird instruments or, or how, you know, the, the people are, uh, you, you're sort of playing around with, with maybe some established stuff to get the unique mm. sound is really nice. Yeah. There is another series which uh, you worked on, which I loved and amazingly is now about 10 years old, which is um, Primeval. Yeah. How was it coming up with music for that show because i mean you know you you've done quite a lot of, of these sort of dark dramas more yeah. recently and then primeval is kind of this sci-fi thing about like yeah. dinosaurs coming through time portals yeah. and how is it working on a, on a show like that which is sort of quite far detached from the stuff that you're, you're doing these days well i mean you know it's 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 funny you say it's sort of detached from what i'm doing now but because you know you go through different phases in your career because that's sometimes you know like like when I was doing Primeval three, four years earlier, I started doing Miss Marple, you know, which is a right, sort of, yeah. which can be pretty dark as well. But there is a sort of, you know, nice English pastoral side to it as well. Mm. And before that, I was doing a lot of indie film comedy stuff. So I think, you know, sometimes people perceive you in one way and then. Yeah. But you you actually doing a lot of different stuff. So, uh, but, you know, Primeval, I mean, I came on board because I had worked with the producers before on two other shows. And what I liked about it was that the producer at the time, you know, he just wanted really kind of you know for example the title theme you know he wanted it like really energetic and and you know as if you're kind of imagining sort of big hordes of dinosaurs running down and screaming and you know to have that big and epic energy behind it mm. um that that was the fun part it was not an easy show to score because there's a lot of action and at that time you know it's sort of that also special effects i guess weren't you know so far advanced then, or it wasn't so quick so i i was often working to more um kind of basic version you know wireframe right yeah, versions yeah. of those scenes but they had to be scored very very tightly because otherwise those action scenes would fall flat a bit you know so it was a lot of intricate 
a work on primeval yeah that must have been sort of actors playing to green screen with like tennis balls on the end when you're trying exactly. to write score to it yeah exactly <laughs> it was like that but i mean it was a kind of mix of quite, some of it was quite genuinely scary and then some yeah. of it was quite sort of you know had a youthful fun to it and and you know in the first two and a half series you know i thought who was great was um, douglas henshaw who mm. really gave the story a kind of urgency you know and he he was so good at delivering these kind of strange and uh, very technical lines about you know because he played a scientist and and so and and he he gave it that sort of gravitas and i everything i did was a little bit based around his character because it it helped me to give it a kind of gravitas yeah i can see that he was fabulous in that i i i really liked that show i thought it was mm. it was wonderful fun and uh, you don't get those sort of you don't get that many sci-fi things made in the uk these days so you know no it's true we should we should definitely do more yeah yeah, yeah we really should i did do another one though oh we which one was that I- the city and the city. Oh, of course, yes, yes. Yeah. The city and I mean, the city. I mean, that was more a kind of near future parallel universe. Uh, but yeah. It, it- it was kind of essentially it was science fiction yeah yes yes that is true that is true what are you doing next if you've got anything that you can uh, talk about coming up yeah i'm doing a netflix series um that's set in southeast asia in the mid 70s so uh it'll be exciting i'll be traveling out to uh, bangkok this summer i'll be recording some of it there and uh, also you know the production is based there i mean for the shoot so, you know, post-production will be back in London again. But uh, this is working again with Tom Shankland, who I've worked with in the past a few times. On He was the lead director on the first two series on Rip, of Ripper Street, um, director of first series of The Missing, etc. So I like being near him when he shoots because we can already try some stuff against picture. And it's a kind of collaborative process like we did on the missing for example as well so and on the city and the city as well so uh yeah so i'm looking forward to that i'm just getting uh just ru- starting with some um themes for that at the moment you're hunting for new instruments as well <laughs> when you're out there looking for sounds well yeah i mean it's i don't think it will have to sort of sound particularly asian you know it's more it's it's kind of it's not really sort of set in the asian community but it's right there is there, there will definitely be a kind of mid 70s influence in there oh that'll be really fun to do awesome uh, yeah the last two questions that we always ask everybody so they're always the same first question is what tv shows are you watching at the moment chernobyl <laughs> I I hear everybody tells me that's fabulous, and I I'm I'm saving it like when yeah, I'm on holiday, so it. I can yeah, binge my way yeah, through it. Yeah, yeah, because it's not all out yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's a oh, it's a good score as well by this uh, Icelandic cellist, I think. Um, and uh, but also it's exciting because it's it's an event, you know, that mm. that when when you were young, it, it happened, yes, and now to kind of see it in a different light. So, but it's brilliantly made as well. It's a different kind of um, storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Everybody tells me that's fabulous. So I am looking forward to getting to that. And uh, lastly, if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, either past, present or future, which show would it be? Well, you know, something I love, you know, something like Handmaid's Tale. I think that kind of genre, you know, which I like a lot. 
is kind of parallel universe or or dystopian or utopian as well. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Awesome. That'll be good. Well, well, I'm sure that something will, will come up. Well, there is, there is. Uh, Amazon are making a Utopia remake of the Channel Four series, so you know, maybe, maybe that's something you could look at. Are they now? Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, there was talk about a film or something or Netflix or uh, no, I can't remember who. So that's happening with Amazon now. Well, yes. I hope they're getting Christabel Tapia de Vere to score it because I think I, I thought that was a fantastic score for Utopia. So and, yes, and I, I I'd be missing that score if if it wasn't there. So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, it's uh, Gillian Flynn who wrote Gone Girl is going to be oh. the writer of it okay so we'll have to wait and see but uh it, it is shaping up to look like quite an interesting series that so uh right but i don't know whether they've got a composer so so yeah. <laughs> well you know they crystal bow should do it so. yeah <laughs> awesome well uh it's been lovely chatting with you and uh well, I, I, I look forward Thanks. to seeing your uh your new series when that comes out and uh congratulations once again on the uh, award that's fabulous right. hopefully we can have you back on again at some point in the future brilliant thanks for your time thank you bye so that was the interview with dominic hope you really enjoyed that if you want to catch up with requiem you can find it on netflix because as he said it is a netflix and bbc co-production so uh it is on netflix if you want to go and catch that now here's some highlights for next week on tv So highlights for next week on TV. We have Warrior Season 1. That is coming to Sky 1 on the 25th of June at 9pm. This is a uh, Cinemax martial arts drama. Follows a martial arts prodigy who emigrates to San Francisco from China to become hatchet man for the most powerful Tong organisation in Chinatown. Uh, Interestingly, it's based on an original concept by Bruce Lee, but it's taken until now for somebody to actually make it into a TV show. It's a good classic martial arts plot in inverted commas, that, isn't it? Yes, yeah. So uh, uh, Cold Warrior, it seems to have gone down fairly well in the US. So uh, that's 25th of June that's coming and that's at 9pm on Sky One. How to Get Away with Murder Season 5 finally arrives on Sky Witness. It's been a long wait for that. and We've had a lot of people asking about that. So that returns for its fifth season. That's on the 26th of June at 9pm. Bellevue, which is Canadian crime drama starring Anna Paquin. Uh, this is one of the things I was mentioning earlier. It comes to My5, which is a streaming service. They've they've got a couple of other dramas that they're shoving out on this as well, or, or have already shoved out on this. 28th of June, that's landing. Um, yeah, they seem to be picking up these smaller crime dramas that are either sort of one or two season shows and uh, you know things like stuff from Canada and stuff, and they're, they're shoving them out on My5. So weirdly, My5 seems to have a better output than Channel 5 at this point. <laughs> so uh, 20, 28th of June and it's called Bellevue that one Private Eyes which is the procedural Canadian PI drama that's starring Jason Priestley that's 1st of July on Universal TV that's 8pm that arrives uh, The Rook for those of you with Virgin Media I think it's actually going out on the Virgin High Def channel as well but it's going out on Virgin On Demand 1st of July for that that is an adaptation of Daniel O'Malley's supernatural novel about a young woman pursued by shadowy paranormal adversaries while grappling with extraordinary abilities of her own exclusively to virgin at the moment sorry everybody else waco the miniseries that starred michael shannon and taylor kitsch that is coming to alibi on the 1st of july at 9 p.m we've interviewed a few people involved with waco and uh looks kind
kind of interesting that one so uh, obviously about the events of the Waco siege in uh, 1993 that's only a mini series but uh, great cast and uh, I think could very well be worth watching 1st of July at 9pm for that Nightfall season 2 comes to history on the 2nd of July at 9pm drama series that follows the Knights Templar starring Tom Cullen with added Mark Hamill for the second season which uh, is never a bad thing. I enjoyed the first season a lot. I'm looking forward to watching the, re- the, the, the second season, so uh, worth going to watch. And Crashing, season three, and the final season of Crashing is uh, coming to Sky Atlantic on the 2nd of July at 10 past 10. That's the Judd Apatow series about a comedian that ends up couch surfing after his marriage falls apart. So third and final season of that on Sky Atlantic, 2nd of July at 10 past 10. And that's everything for next week, unless you've got anything else you want to mention no i've just binge watching my way through iZombie at the moment yes so I'm, I'm quite merry and happy because that is going from strength to strength still and catching up on everything i've missed from having five weeks of no tv <laughs> yes so, yeah we have p season two and uh, the rest of iZombie i need to finish osmosis as well the um french science fiction right series yes. on netflix um yeah there's so much good stuff there is a lot of good tv around at the moment we're really yeah, not sure of things to watch spoiled for choice especially when there's things that are outside my normal area that people are highly recommending like chernobyl and things um yeah i i need more tv hours than i have time for which yeah. is a pretty good place to be yeah i mean over the next month we've got stranger things season three coming up you've got the third and final season of legion coming up outpost returns for a second season elementary final is season back. of uh, killjoys is coming up too yeah final season of killjoys uh final season of elementary there's there's orange is the new black is back and you've got the boys coming at the end of july as well which is the adaptation of the garth ennis comic book from eric kripke the amazing creator yeah, of supernatural uh, yeah, Good Omens, if you've not watched that, obviously we did the premiere for that, but if you've not watched Good Omens, it's brilliant and uh, unfortunately cancelled by Netflix. <laughs> if you've seen any of the uh, internet stuff. I know, I know stuff, that before, <laughs> having even watched the first episode. Thanks, uh, no, 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 but no, no, it's no, going to no, be no, brilliant. Is, uh, no, David no, Tennant can't help it. No, this was a, there was a whole thing going around the internet. Basically, there was a, uh, a group of the so-called Christians in the US that are demanding the cancellation of Good Omens, uh, even though A, it is only a one season show because it's based off a book so it was never going to be more than a mini series and two they demanded the cancellation from Netflix and it's not on Netflix it's on Amazon Prime so <laughs> failed on all counts there but it did have a hilarious exchange between Netflix going okay we promise not to make any more good omens to which Amazon Prime responded well okay we'll cancel Stranger Things if you cancel good omens <laughs> <laughs> so yes it sort uh, of reminds me of when everyone was um texting nasa to go and help out tony stark before yes. endgame and they were replying it's always good when there's a people can see the funny side of things as well sad people wanted to cancel it but hopefully um once they realized the error it became a bit more jovial yes yeah so uh so yes i mean good good omens i i don't think he's ever going to come back for another season because it was only ever designed to be a miniseries there's that i mean i would love it if they 
did make more of it. But uh, yeah, the petition that went round asked Netflix to cancel it, and it's not a Netflix show; it's an Amazon Prime show. So, yeah. uh, well, if they have covered the whole of the book in the the first yes. season, that's sort of having read the book. That makes sense. Yes, yes. <laughs> I'm so, not sure how you would. Uh, yeah, do exactly. Anymore, hopefully, it will open so, but, up the, the floodgates for some more books to get adapted. It'd be nice to see I, some. Uh, more I would, gaming or Discworld stuff going up. Yeah, I would like to see Gaiman maybe do some more of Pratchett stuff. I, I mean, I know he doesn't have the direct connection to it, but I would like to see them do a bit more of it. I know Sky have done some of them, but I would like to see them do a little bit more. Maybe use some of the same cast, but in different roles, that sort of stuff. That would be great. It would be good if you could have a little group of kind of Pratchett players. You know how, how they do with things like American Horror, where it's the same cast in different mm. roles. And maybe you do something like that moving forward. But uh, I would love to see them adapt more as miniseries it'd be fabulous so that's everything for this week you can find Bex on you can find me slightly less jet lagged than I was before putting up videos <laughs> about geek stuff uh, reviews interviews um, and some videos of the geeky stuff over in Japan up on my YouTube channel which is Trista Bytes spelt like computer bite because I thought I was funny I'm also on Facebook Twitter and Instagram and sometimes up on the geektown.co.uk website as well yes and uh, obviously for us you can find us on geektown.co.uk throughout the week and see all the latest air data information and TV news if you want to get in touch with your questions and comments email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk leave a message on the website post find us at geektown on twitter on facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown on youtube at youtube.com forward slash geektown and on instagram at geektown uk that is everything we shall see you next week bye 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 Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 